So we're bringing back uh, pronunciation 101 for this week. Oh, good. I also kind of made up a word. Did you make up a word? As it, uh, is it, it it's, it's better when it's spontaneous, but most things are in this podcast. Well, luckily, I forgot what I wrote, but it'll, when, I, when it comes back to me, hopefully it'll sound spontaneous. You don't I, know what it is. I'm sure I'll eventually figure it out. I'm pretty sure I said, or I came really close to saying undebeaten again in <laughs> one, of, one of last week's podcasts. I don't know which one. Undebeaten. Undebeaten. That's one of my favorite uh, accidental made-up words. We haven't had a lot of accidental made-up words, though, lately. No, but I mean, I think that's hard to undebeat, that one. You know, in these kind of weather deals, when you got policy and stuff, we wanted to make sure that we got out of the gates fast and, and, and put the... You know, put the pedal down because after three quarters they could call this thing if it was 86.1. I'm having to coach effort and determination. I shouldn't have to coach effort and determination. That should be a given. And I'm blaming Google. Back to throw. Williams. Oh! He's got to throw. Oh! He's got it! He's got it! He's got it! He's got Jellison, the two-point conversion. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, where we're in our 12th season of podcasting and our 20th season of covering Division Three football. We welcome you to podcast number 204, where we're talking about week three of the 2018 Division Three football season, the edition for September 17th of 2018. And whether you were all wet on Saturday or hot or maybe a little hot under the collar like Widener coach Mike Kelly in that clip a moment ago, it was a pretty interesting week three. So let's get to it. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan or the Fred Jackson of Pat's Nate Jackson. And look, when you've won five times in the first six seasons of your program's existing, victory sounds like it did in the open. Conversely, I watched the highlight of Muhlenberg's game winner, Pat, and the Mules seemed ho-hum, like almost hesitant to storm the field. You won. Just go tear up the turf. Pronunciation 101. Budavistic. Monon Belt. Budavistic. Chiole. Gallardi. German Ariel. Muhlenberg. Yeah, that's how you pronounce Muhlenberg. But we're going to do our best not to go into overtime in this episode, just like Misericordia didn't want to go OT against Widener. But RPI needed three OTs to remain unbeaten. And, well, Keith mentioned the Muhlenberg win. But when the final game of the night is between two teams who don't report their scores to us and the game is delayed twice by Lightning, sure, you can uh, send that game to two overtimes as well. (laughs) Meanwhile, Keith, I might blame Google if you can't find the podcast, but not for student-athletes not being motivated. But I suppose if you're Mike Kelly and instead of contending, your pride is being swallowed up by the middle of the pack or the lower end teams in the Mac. Could that someone be Mac the night? You might be looking to blame some big search engine. And I'm blaming Google. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. We talked a lot on Friday's podcast about heat and humidity, and there was an extreme weather advisor in the upper Midwest. That was Concordia Moorhead coach Terry Horan in the open talking about his team, which played at 10 a.m. in order to beat the heat against Augsburg and Minneapolis. But it was Thomas Moore bringing the heat on Saturday, rallying from a 21-0 deficit to beat UW-Plantville 35-28. Our Adam Turer was there, and he talked with Saints coach Trevor Stellman. I, I think the hardest part is our, we got kind of knocked in the mouth real quick. Um, the good part to see is that you know, we didn't get knocked down. We staggered around and kind of hung in there because uh, things have gotten a lot worse even, even after the first quarter. So 
fact that our guys kind of bounced back and we started going on the attack uh, makes a huge difference. That, that was that was kind of the key for us going into the second half. That he did for the uh, second half. So Coach Stellman's Thomas Moore team got knocked down but got up again, not just on Saturday with that great second half against uh, Wisconsin Platteville, but also now in the, in the lens of their season. The first week against uh, at North Carolina Wesleyan, I think that was a bit of a surprise to, to most of us um, that they lost that game because the schedule's so tough. Um, seven road games, five of the first six on the road. You, you figured that was a game that they could win. They lost that one 35-28, a bit of a surprise. Bounced back in week two with a, you know, not a great win at Hanover, but 27-18, good enough. And then didn't look so hot when they went down 21-0 on Saturday, but that was that was what we'd expect, right? Platteville was ranked. Um, they're a team from the strongest conference in the country, or at least the one that most years is. And you figure Thomas Moore, in fact, Adam in the Friday podcast called it a must-win game and maybe the earliest must-win game of the season. And it's hard to believe, but Thomas Moore, because they're independent this season, they're really only competing with the new Mac for one bid that's set aside. And then if for some reason two teams were good enough, they could compete in pool B, but I mean, pool C in the at-large category, but there's so few of those bids to go around. Realistically, they would, they would have to win eight to nine games to, um, you know, to, to be a playoff team. And so from here on out, you know, they have to do everything they can to put themselves in position and beating uh, Wisconsin Platteville on Saturday certainly helped. They got some help from Union as well as Union defeated Springfield and knocked them from the ranks of the unbeaten. Springfield was a playoff team out of Pool B last year. Uh, Keith, uh, non-conference play is basically over at this point. Uh, obviously, there's still some non-conference games kind of scattered through the schedule. And uh, we just talked about Thomas Moore, which is entirely non-conference. But uh, yeah, and, and their non-conference games are, are pretty rough. They're at Huntingdon. They've got Muhlenberg later in the season. They finished the season at St. John's. So, uh, yeah, non-conference over for most. It's got a lot more to, to, to go for Thomas Moore. Winners and losers in non-conference play in uh, in your estimation, and I'm talking about just kind of conferences in general, not like individual teams. One of the the losers actually is uh, is the WIAC because so often uh, they're they're so great and so dominant um, in non-conference, and then you know they kind of beat up on each other. In this case, part of the remnants of them being so good over the years is that they have trouble scheduling D3 teams, and so they kind of played a scattershot schedule. Oshkosh has played Division II teams. You know, there was Dickinson State and Lincoln, Missouri and Davenport and this middle Georgia State. That's a club right. team. That doesn't even count. Right. And, and But that's the point is that they're, they're, they're playing all kinds of um, teams across the, the, uh, the, the spectrum. And so um, they're also – they're just not – they weren't – games weren't all wins, you know, that we saw Oshkosh struggle. We saw Platteville have uh, some good halves, some bad halves. Wisconsin lacrosse lost on Saturday. And suddenly a conference we thought had maybe four really good teams. Um, now you don't know, do they, do they have one that's great? Do they, are they going to um, all beat up on each other? You know, I, I think that bears watching. And then the, the conferences that, um, that stand out as, as losers in non-conference play, kind of some familiar faces, but there are four conferences right now which uh which have four teams that are winless and, and you know as we get toward the end of september you, you got half your conference that hasn't even got a win yet that, that's not good yeah the wyack has had years where they've had results like this before uh 12 and 8 officially in uh in non-conference play 
at this point. Uh, but I think, you know, River Falls lost to Missouri Baptist, a team that it's beaten previously. Um, you know, we still don't know what to make of Oshkosh versus Davenport. And then Oshkosh went and beat a Division Two team that's a, a little more established uh, on Saturday when it beat Lincoln of Missouri. I just don't, yeah, I don't know what to make of uh, of a lot of these things. And I think that it may or may not hurt them in postseason consideration because when you look at the Division Three stuff, well, you know, you still have Whitewater over Concordia Moorhead and you still have uh, Lacrosse over Illinois Wesleyan. And you've got some some pretty key wins there in some pretty good places. Yeah, and I think there are a couple other conferences that, that look pretty good or come away uh, looking pretty decent. The Centennial has a handful of teams that are in good shape at this point, playoff contention. CCIW does sort of what it always does. Uh, almost every team is uh, is good or is looking good. They're all 2-0 and or 1-1 and at this point. So there are some winners out there to go along with the with the, the loser conferences. And, I, you know, you hate to call anybody loser, but there's, there's certainly conferences that through non-conference play did not give their teams – collectively an opportunity to, to compete for an at-large bid. You know, you're not going to see someone coming out of the ECFC or the, or the NAC that, uh, unless they're the conference champ. Of course, the OAC was in the books a long time ago at 9-1. and one. We mentioned that uh, the SAA had a really good record after non-conference play in week one. After this week, 13-5, uh, and five, still pretty good. Um, MIAC, 11-5. and five. I'm just kind of running down some numbers now. Uh, get your notepads out. Um, New Jersey Athletic Conference uh, six and four, uh, Heartland two and sixteen is about par for the course for them. The MIAA interesting at sixteen and eight. Now in the past they've really kind of fattened up their non-conference schedule with two games against the NAC, two conference schedule games against uh, you know against the Northern Athletics Collegiate Conference. That's been cut back a little bit. Uh, but the MIAA is 16-8, and eight, and that's with Finlandia, who is 0-3 and, and outscored by a bunch to, like, 15. I do like, Pat, though, some of the games that MIAA teams have scheduled. The one that comes to mind is uh, Adrian and Ohio Northern. And so I think that conference, in some ways, they're giving themselves a chance to compete later on down the road because uh, – you can use that that non-conference play to sort of get your team ready for conference play, and then whichever team is the uh, is the conference champion has a chance to to win or host in the first round, play a team that it can possibly beat, and then move on. You know, you're you're really in a tough spot when you're in the north and the west, and you're a low seed because you're going to draw in the first round the Mountain Unions, the St. Thomases, those sort of teams in in, uh, in your first playoff game. If you're coming upon this podcast randomly in your feed this is one of our monday podcasts this is the one where keith and i will hand out our game balls we'll uh, look at teams on the rise and on the fall in the top 25 go through some off the beaten path highlights surprising results and more but uh, before we do that i just want to talk for a minute about a book i've been reading called football for a buck the crazy rise and crazier demise of the usfl it's been a fascinating read about that league that rose and fell before any current d3 player was born and before some current D3 head coaches were born even. I just got up to the part of the book where he talks about Division III great Sam Mills of Montclair State. He's first introduced, and uh, author Jeff Perlman does, tells a great story about how Mills got into the league, not to mention all the stuff that went on behind the scenes to get the league up and running, and then how it all went to hell in a handbasket. You can purchase it anywhere there are books, you know, but uh, look for the ad on d3football.com. You can find it on a news page or on a scoreboard page, for example. Click that ad to go to Amazon.com, buy it there, and we'll totally get like a buck and a quarter out of it. If you like football, get Football for a Buck by Jeff Perlman. 
It's time for Game Balls, and even though I won't get officially called out for my bad pick from Friday's podcast yet, I might as well take my whooping now. China, come on out and get your whooping. If you were listening on Friday, Keith asked me how many rushing yards I thought Union would give up to Springfield, and I didn't think Union would do any differently than Springfield's previous two opponents. Wrong. Once Chad Shade was knocked out of the game, this was a non-contest. Union held Springfield to 163 yards. Uh, plus another minus 37 on a bad punt snap. Uh, they won 45-10. to 10. I'm specifically going to call out linebacker Jack Riley, who appears to have been uh, well on assignment all day. He had seven tackles for the Dutchman. Other players had more tackles, but Riley's included three tackles for loss. And even on the four so-called tackles for gain, none were more than three yards from the line of scrimmage. My game ball goes to Jack Riley, linebacker for Union. Good to point out that you have, you're not being called out yet. Uh, we'll get to that on, on Friday. For my game ball, let's give it up for place kickers. Joke however you want about them, but a game-winning field goal attempt is one of the most dramatic moments this game offers us, especially since it's no given with a D3 kicker. RPI's Sanjay Christian missed from 42 in overtime, but made from 21 and 35 to give the engineers a win in the third overtime with an assist on the back end from DJ Stefanski with the dream scenario for a defensive back, the game-ending interception. Todd Spurt kicked one from 37 to win in overtime from Muhlenberg. Millsaps got a game-winning kick. And Ohio Wesleyan made Gabe Philhauer's three field goals stand up with his 27-yard game winner with 18 seconds left, pushing the battling Bishops past Worcester, 9-7. Pat, I don't know how many game balls are in the budget, but let's give one to all these lonely kickers. Sure. As soon as I can find the equipment guy who has the kicker balls, we'll get right on that. My team on the rise in the poll in the top 25 this week is Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, the Titans played their way out last week, of course, losing to UW Lacrosse and played their way back in by defeating Wheaton on Saturday. In the process, of course, they made things lovely for voters by essentially forcing them to cluster these three schools t- together in their poll. Theoretically, IWU, UWL, and Wheaton. I don't have a three-letter abbreviation for that. They should continue to be close together, however, the rest of the season, barring any additional outlier wins or losses. And Wheaton beat Monmouth as well. So I actually, on my, uh, when I was sketching out the ballot, I had like a uh, IWU, greater than sign, or no, lacrosse, IWU, Wheaton, Monmouth. So like, I, you know, so yeah. you could force yourself to never move one of those teams up uh, above another until you get a bunch of wacky results later in the season. But it's nice to have those, those head-to-heads for your poll. Yeah. Pat, um, my rising team, uh, even though my top 10 stayed entirely the same except for a flip of St. John's above North Central. I don't think I've ever had this much movement on a ballot. I ranked seven new teams this week, swapping seven out. Illinois Wesleyan was one of them, but the riser has to be either Linfield, which bounced back from a loss to beat Redlands, or Union. I put the Dutchman into the poll at 19, Pat. It's early, and maybe that's high, but what they've done to date has been impressive. They've held opponents to 7, 10, and 10 points and wins over Husson, Coast Guard, and Springfield. That's two playoff teams from last season. In the win against the Pride on Saturday, Union allowed just 1.9 yards per carry on 65 rushes and zero passing yards. The Dutchman might not end up in the top 25, but what they've done to date absolutely warrants a ranking. Has anyone else even played two 2017 playoff teams? Yeah, I don't know about that, but lots of teams have played two teams that combined for zero votes this week. Obviously, not all playoff teams are equal. Let me ask you, I know I'm going to deviate here from the rundown for a second, but uh, who are some of the other uh, who are some of the teams that you dropped out? I can think of I think I dropped out maybe three and I can't remember off the top of my head. Obviously, uh, Platteville was one of them, but I'm not sure who else. I actually have this handy. My uh, my outlist 
included Springfield, it included Baldwin-Wallace, included uh, Wisconsin-Platteville, Delaware Valley, and RPI. Those were teams that I had very low last week uh, that won this week, um, but, but weren't that impressive. Delval v. Wilkes, uh, 21-10, but it was uh, even closer than the score look. They didn't score until late to, to put a little distance between that. Yeah. And RPI's game, as Will, as we just talked about, uh, great finish, three overtimes, 23-20 against Utica. But um, but when you're looking at you know teams like Center and Central and uh, you know W and J who are blowing out their opponents, Ohio Northern, I felt like it was it, it was at this juncture, you know, better to move those teams in rather than uh, reward teams for for just hanging on. You know, when you don't feel too strongly about anyone, I think you have to go with the teams that have been impressive, and you now have two potentially three weeks of of uh data or results to work with so i moved in uh illinois westland moved them back in w and j which i hadn't been voting for uh union trinity i like to throw nescaca bone um ohio northern central and center i uh, was not voting for springfield i did drop out rpi uh, i left baldwin wallace in you know there are lots of teams uh, or mountain union can do that to lots of teams so I'm kind of waiting on the uh, Baldwin Wallace John Carroll result, which I know is many, many weeks down the season before I uh, pull the plug, I guess, as it were, on Baldwin Wallace in my top 25. Hey, I mean, as far as the comment, uh, you know, not all playoff teams are equal. Isn't that kind of the definition of what the playoffs do? I hear, if all playoff teams were equal, we'd have a 32 way tie for the Stag Bowl. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, I, I just say that because I hear coaches say, hey, well, we play three playoff teams this year. Yeah, but if you play the champs of the ECFC and, you know, the new Mac and something like that, it's not the it's not the same as having played even the runner up or goodness gracious, the fifth place team in the OAC. Sure. Can I talk about uh, UW Platteville as a team that will take a fall? You're permitted to talk about UW Platteville as a team that will take a fall. That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. Well, uh, obviously losing has its consequences, right? But I think there's a secondary effect to this as well, Keith. And I'm wondering what you think. It's similar to what we talked about with Oshkosh previously, where the loss by Platteville this week serves to emphasize the questions that we had about Platteville out of week one. You mentioned this earlier, but now we've got a program with two good halves and two really bad halves this season. Yeah, Platteville letting that 21-point lead slip against Thomas Moore helped them slip off my ballot as well. And I think you're right that you just don't know what, what kind of team you're dealing with. Are you dealing with one that was getting beaten by 20 points down at East Texas Baptist back in week one or the one that scored 42 points in the second half, including its 35-point explosion in the third quarter? Is it the one that took a 21-0 lead on Thomas Moore or the one that couldn't hold that lead? You know, you, you're going to have to see more games to, uh, to, to really determine. And I think Platteville is a team for us as voters kind of have to hold in that teams were, were watching closely group and maybe week to week, you know, maybe they'll creep back in some weeks, maybe they won't. But the great thing about being in the WIAC is they'll have the opportunity to, uh, to, to prove themselves over and over again. Four WIAC teams were ranked between 10th and 23rd heading into this week. That was in the, on, in the, the D3football.com poll. I'm down to two, though, on my ballot, and I don't really have a sense of how Platteville, Oshkosh, or Lacrosse will fare going forward. I also had Delaware Valley falling out of the top 25, as we discussed, even though the Aggies beat Wilkes ugly. All wins are not equal, just like all playoff teams are not equal. And so with so many teams clamoring to be ranked this season, you can't have non-dominant performances. 
My off-the-beaten-path highlight is uh, something that Keith alluded to earlier, but it's uh, Hunter Sellen hitting a 25-yard field goal as time expired to lift Millsaps past Trinity, Texas, 10-7. Uh, score of this game kept down by a wet, muddy field in San Antonio. That's what makes this field goal more impressive to me. Um, there are not a lot of grass fields anymore, right? And not a lot of uh, muddy field, not a lot of rain in San Antonio in general. I just thought the combination of all of these things made this a, a really interesting uh, kick and an interesting off the beaten path highlight. Also, by the way, it improves Millsaps to 3-0. and Yeah, and a surprising 3-0. and Fun fact. Every game I played in college was uh, on grass, and I probably would say there are very few players now who play more than than half their games on grass. You know, even I guess if they have a home home grass field, then maybe they do. But I think more than half, by far, fields have have converted to turf. Oh, easily, I would bet about eighty percent at this point. Yeah. And the other twenty percent are um, teams that someone should sponsor the podcast and then sell them the turf. <laughs> Boom. See what I did there? Hey, we need to hire you as the marketing guy. My off-the-beaten-path highlight. The game between non-scholarship FCS Davidson and Guilford from Thursday was pretty well discussed, especially if you hung around social media or watched that big sports channel that night. Uh, And these shootouts didn't quite reach 91-61, but Albion's 57-42 scoreboard bowl burner-outer against Concordia Chicago, Heidelberg's 44-40 44-40 burging of Capitol Hobart's 56-48 stinging of the Shenandoah Hornets and King's 65-48 crowning of Hartwick. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. We're all worth the price of admission uh, if they even charge to watch those games. The best stretch for many of those four games was probably by King's, a team we doubted in the random game back on the Friday pod. The Monarchs scored four times in the last six minutes, 23 seconds of the first half against Hartwick by run, fumble recovery, pass, and field goal, turning a 27-23 deficit into a 46-27 halftime lead. My most surprising result from the weekend, hands down, is Misericordia defeating Widener 36-35. We touched on this back uh, about uh, 18 minutes ago or so, but here's the details. Even before Brady Williams shakes off that would-be tackler and finds Sam Gillison diving in the end zone for that two-point conversion, this was a great game. Some of the highlights... Uh, Widener puts in a freshman quarterback for his first action of the game, backed up on their own 11-yard line. He fumbles on the first play. One play later, Misericordia is in the end zone for an early tie score. Darnell Diaz returns an interception 56 yards in the third quarter to put the Cougars up by two scores, but Widener responds with three long touchdown runs, two by Chris Randall to retake the lead with... uh, well, with 4.57 to go, that's when Misericordia gets the ball back, and they use all but four seconds of that time to get the winning touchdown and that uh, just explosion of noise that was a two-point conversion for the win. And those games are really so emotional, especially when you're a team that, that thinks you should win, you fall behind, and then you start to get that rally. Sometimes you can even be losing that game but feel like you're in control and it's only a matter of time before you catch up. And this time, Widener did that, and Misericordia still responded boldly went for it on to converted in an amazing fashion. So yeah, that was my most surprising result too. Um, but in the interest of diversity, I'll add the uh, center score against Hendricks. We talked about this game in the Friday pod. And if you're not listening, that's your bad. We told you that, that Hendricks quarterback, Miles Thompson probably wouldn't play, but the 45, six margin was still a surprise. Keith in the background of all this, and we've alluded to it already. And we, we talked about it a lot on social media. We? I talked about it a lot on social media, I guess. Other people did. I'm, I'm 
positive that Adam Turr retweeted at least some of these things. Um, point being, uh, Widener coach Mike Kelly said this stuff at uh, Philly Area's weekly coaches luncheon, and uh, this is on tape, but I'll read it back from the record. I'm blaming Google. It's easy to pull out your magic thinking box, which is to say your mobile device, and Google something and you get an instant answer. I think that's hurt our society as much as anything. You should still make kids open up a Funkin' Wagnalls, an Encyclopedia Britannica, and actually have to put some effort in to do something. Keith, Funkin' Funkin' Wagnalls last published in Encyclopedia in 1997. Encyclopedia Britannica last printed in 2010. They sold out their last book six years ago. Widener last one in 2017. I'm not drawing a connection here, you see. I'm just stating facts. But your thoughts? I think context helps a little bit. And he was ranting or uh, discussing having to coach effort from his players. And so I was like with him on that part. And then he got to the Google, Google thing and uh, it just got a little weird. You know, not having to coach effort is a legitimate gripe. And if any of us who, say, have a teenager in the house can relate, right? There are certain things you, you feel like there just should be expectation and you can you can correct mistakes, you can teach, but but if the effort is not there, if the want to is not there, that's almost more frustrating than the, the physical mistakes. Uh, I, it was a silly curmudgeonly thing to say and it's fine for us to, to poke fun at it, but in theory, when you peel back the layers and add the context, it's, it's I, I get where the gripe is coming from, even though it's just a really um, old guy way to phrase it. All right, we'll move on to stat of the week. Uh, Robert Grant of the University of Rochester pulled off a full McMillan with four interceptions as the Yellow Jackets got past Alfred State 20-14. to 14. U of R picked off six passes in total in the win. Grant had one interception in each quarter, and when he got his third, he became the first Rochester player to intercept three in a game since Brian Dabble did it at Case Western Reserve in the 1995 opener. Uh, that guy's the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, although that seems kind of like an ignominious distinction at the moment. You never go full McMillan. It also might not be keen to be Kane right now. Salisbury outrushed the Cougars 279-6, and that's on the heels of Kane being outrushed 418-96 against Springfield back in Week 2. It's always a tough ask to stop the triple option running games, especially those two, but playing them back-to-back to open the season would at least allow for devoting a bunch of prep time to it in the offseason and the preseason. The two teams, though, have scored 10 touchdowns to Kane's zero, which means the Cougars begin their NJAC schedule in a low place. They host Southern Virginia next weekend in a get-right game. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Now is the time in the podcast where we go to Twitter. And the question comes from at D3 Photography. These are uh, friends of ours. Colleagues of ours, uh, we're clients of theirs. I don't know, whatever you want to say. Uh, why don't you do this more often? Smiley face, hashtag daily podcast dose. Well, we almost didn't take this question because it didn't use the D3FB hashtag. My simple response would be because sleep. Yeah, it would be neat to honestly do, to have a full-time operation up and running because there, there are no shortage of stories to tell. We could always um, talk to coaches. Yeah, and just have the audio as part of the podcast. But, uh, you know, being dads and men who work, at least uh, more often than not, and then also doing this as well, um, you know, it's tough. Plus, we had a hard enough time getting a question today. We had to settle for uh, something that almost basically came from inside the house. Well, we probably could ask like earlier in the week or earlier in the day, 
We don't have to ask at like 10 at night. That's possible. We'll see if that works. We'll just get Doolittle Dog to, uh, UD Doolittle Dog to send us another question. Hey, also though, we do, we are doing this more often than we've done it in the past. Two pods, in case you haven't heard me mention it yet <laughs> on this podcast, there's a Monday podcast and a Friday podcast now. That is true. We've doubled our podcast output and really we've, um, at least tripled it over, you know, what we would do three or four years ago before we started doing the off season podcast. So you, uh, we're, we're definitely expanding the podcast production. I feel like we should have more thoughts though. You just want me to take it anytime now. <laughs> All righty. So Hurricane Florence hit the coast of North Carolina, and Brevard was certainly justified in not playing its game as scheduled. But the weather in Virginia was a total bust this weekend. I couldn't even get my daughter's softball game to rain out on a day I had to work and couldn't make it. Not a drop of rain all weekend. Hampton, Sydney, Emory Henry, Averett, Gallaudet in Washington, D.C., and Frostburg State in Western Maryland certainly could have hosted games, but always better to be safe than sorry. I thought it was... Heartwarming, I guess, to see the missing man formation to start the game for Wabash after a little giant starting linebacker Evan Hansen died by suicide this past week. And I like how schools have started to work this out, right? We'll take a delay of game penalty, and you'll decline it, and we'll start off even. It was a weird ejection in the Mount Union-Baldwin-Wallace game. It started when Baldwin-Wallace uh, took the field and, as a team, sort of went over to the Mount Union sideline, or at least as a, as a group. Um, and, and basically we're, I think we're trying to show Mount Union that they weren't afraid or, you know, whatever, um, got a team penalty. So that meant, and I've, I've never seen this rule enforced before. That meant that entire team now has one personal foul or unsportsmanlike conduct. And the next one for any player, uh, means they're ejected. So Jordan Leverett catches a 68 yard touchdown pass in the portion of the game where it was very back and forth. Uh, Mount Union ball and ball scoring on each other. And Leverett puts his hand up around the five uh, as sort of, you know, celebrating the score, the inevitable score. Uh, gets unfor- unsportsmanlike penalty called. That's his second of the game. So he gets ejected for yeah. celebrating a touchdown, which seems to me like an over-enforcement of the rules. And it wouldn't have mattered if, as far as the, the outcome because Baldwin Wallace wasn't stopping Mount Union all day. Anyway, Mount Union ends up winning that game 56-21. They remain number one in the poll. Baldwin-Wallace, you know, you folks who didn't watch the game are left to interpret what that score means. But to take one of the best offensive players off the field over that is where we've kind of written the rule book to be a little, I don't know, I, I didn't like it. I have just the same reaction to what we've done with the unwritten rules of the game. If you're Baldwin Wallace, can you not come out on your own homecoming and have a little exuberance, a little excitement? And, you know, this is perceived as some sort of uh, grand stain on Mount Union by Mount Union fans. Is that you just opponents not allowed to have any sort of enthusiasm? I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. It's a weird thing to do because you're most likely going to get you know, your door's blown off when the game begins, but it, it seems kind of, it seems rather harmless, to be honest. If you don't come out with some energy before the game, you are definitely going to get your doors blown off once the game begins. I, and I'm okay with officials keeping control. Like, you don't, you don't want anything to get, um, you don't want emotions to get too high 
where you get later in the game, you get incidents, people pushing, being dirty, right. and hit, yeah, that kind of thing. So it's good to you know you you penalize it early and take control. But to ha to have, I just thought the combination of the two things to get a good player kicked out was was a little weird. I, I'm sure folks that are more privy to to the situation or know what happened or watched it closely uh, may have different interpretations of it. But I, I thought it was uh, odd at best. This weekend featured a full set of games between the Skyac and the Northwest Conference, and it was a clean sweep for the Northwest Conference. It was Lewis and Clark over Whittier. Willamette beat Occidental. Pacific Lutheran in a close one over Claremont Mud Scripps. Pacific over Cal Lutheran. Puget Sound handled Laverne. Uh, Whitworth in a close one over Chapman. Linfield blanked Redlands. And uh, George Fox in it with a big win over Pomona Pitzer. Yeah, the Willamette-Occidental game, uh, yeah, I think we talked about that on Friday. Score was not what we thought it would be, but, uh, but, but it seemed like it was competitive to some degree. Uh, here's a thought. Guilford. Everybody was so focused on the 91 points that Davidson scored. Uh, they kind of forgot that Guilford put up 61, uh, which is which is um, pretty good. That game got out of hand early. Guilford actually scored first, and then Davidson ran off most of the next 30 points. So they were they were ahead, but Guilford kept scoring, so Davidson had to keep scoring, and it ended up being this uh, record-setting or record-threatening, in, in some ways, uh, game. But what was neat to me was Guilford scored 61 in a loss, they scored 61 the, the week before, beating Methodist. And if that game that they played in week one, which was stopped with, with about 47, 48 minutes in um, due to lightning, that game was 58, 48 at the time. When I did the math and extrapolated out what they were on pace for, the score would have been Huntington 74, Guilford 61. So in essence, Guilford has scored 61 in, in all three of its games so far. It'll be interesting to see who stops them now that they get into ODAC play, and there are some teams that are a little more familiar with them. But obviously, Quakers firing on all cylinders, and Quakers firing on cylinders, not things that usually happen. Yeah, that's weird. Capital lost in heartbreaking fashion for the second consecutive week on Saturday. They got stopped from the one on a two-point conversion attempt at uh, Marietta in week two. And then on Saturday, Capital had a great back-and-forth game with Heidelberg. But the pitch man dropped a hook-and-ladder ball at the 10-yard line in the closing seconds in a situation where it seemed he could well have taken it to the end zone. Instead, Heidelberg holds on to win that game 44-40. to And there were safeties this week from Willamette to Maine Maritime and a couple of odd final scores. Hamilton, for example, lost to Tufts 29-2. Adrian beat Aurora 27-5, which was a field goal and a blocked extra point return for the Spartans and not a safety at all. Pat, I got a question, a thought solicitation from you. What's your most surprising uh, winless team so far and what's your most surprising undefeated team so far? Uh, most surprising winless team I think has to be Widener and undefeated has to be FDU Florham. And then uh, we got to queue up uh, Mac the Knife again as we have to cut up everything that we said about the Mac in the preseason. FDU Florham is 3-0. and It feels weird just to say that out loud. You took the good one, so I'll say Millsaps for the surprising, surprisingly unbeaten team at 3-0. and They've only allowed 10 points in three games, although Rowan is also 3-0 and and sort of unimpressive doing so. And, uh, and Luther, six-win team last season, has a bit of a tough schedule to start, but they're surprisingly 0-3. Keith, I think we got time for a bonus thought for you on our way out. Shout out to Dickinson for beating Gettysburg for the Little Brown Bucket in one of the good rivalries of Pennsylvania. And to Massachusetts Maritime for beating Maine Maritime for the Admirals Cup. 
This was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 204, released on September 17th, 2018. Thanks for listening and tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That will help other football fans find it. You can also leave comments on the blog page. I checked in. 33 ratings, 32 five-star ratings, one four-star rating. We're, we're pretty happy about that. Thank you so much. Reviews are pretty cool, too. Ratings are awesome. And thank you for all the awesome ratings, because we really appreciate that. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Audio this week from Adam Turr. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guests, Terry Horan and Trevor Stellman, for their time on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering the post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. What do you think the Admiral's Cup looks like, and what do you think it has in it? Mm, I'm just going to say silver and oranges and a football. I like that. We should definitely have a, a, a big football game that has a bowl with, like, oranges in it. We should totally have another podcast on Friday. What do you think? Uh, I'll be around. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.